Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian, here at the Surface Navy Association's annual symposium in sunny Northern Virginia. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us is United States Navy Vice Admiral Bill Galinas, the commander of the Naval Sea Systems Command, universally known as NAVC, who supervises the construction of all naval vessels as well as the maintenance of the service's entire fleet of warships, submarines, and auxiliary vessels. Sir, it's an honor and pleasure welcoming you to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, Vago, good morning. Thanks for the opportunity to be here and to spend a few minutes with you today talking about Navy uh, shipbuilding and ship maintenance and everything that goes with that. Thank you. Uh, I, I can't uh, t tell you how fun uh, it is to talk about ship repair uh, and maintenance. Uh, before we get started, Leonardo DRS sponsors uh, our global coverage. Northrop Grumman sponsors our weekly cyber report and our cyber coverage overall. And General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. And this interview is part of our broader SNA coverage, which is sponsored by Huntington Ingalls Industries and Raytheon Technologies. Tune into our Cavus Ships podcast, hosted by Chris Cavus and Chris Sir who have been taking daily deep dives into covering this show. Sir, thanks very much again uh, for joining us. Um, and I guess I have to start with a continuing resolution uh, question. Uh, it's uh, a decade of insanity under which uh, we've unfortunately uh, lived. It looks like we're going to have an appropriations measure in March, but that still puts it roughly halfway in the year. Just give the audience kind of an update on what kind of impact this has on you, because nobody is more impacted than folks on the maintenance side of the business. Yeah, Vago, thanks for that question. What it really does is it slows us down, okay? Uh, you know, we get incremental funding on a periodic basis uh, as it gets doled out from the Department of Defense as, as com coming from Congress, um, but it causes us to slow our decision-making down. We can only fund, you know, up to the point of the, the, the funding that, that we get. Uh, in some cases, we're resequencing work. Uh, you know, it slows us down on the new construction side uh, for, for sure in terms of when uh, contracts or we can award contracts. Uh, there are no new starts under a CR, as, as you know. Um, on the maintenance side, uh, again, the, just the, the slowness and the speed of decision making, and in some cases having to resequence availabilities uh, based on the amount of funding that's available. God willing, uh, that gets resolved sooner uh, than later. Um, you joined us last year. You gave us kind of a snapshot on, obviously, your number one priority is generating capacity. That's what everybody wants. Your, uh, the public yards are at full capacity. You've been bringing private yards uh, into this as well. I want to get into some of the modeling uh, as well as big data that you're using to do these availabilities better. But talk to us about where you stand right now and the measures you've instituted in the past year that are actually driving this ball down the field faster and, and cutting costs. Because at the end of the day, uh, this is a very cost-sensitive business that you're in. Yeah, so let me just start uh, on the private sector side. So the big thing there is how we award the contracts, right? And so we've, uh, we've done a lot of work in terms of getting the contracts awarded uh, notionally four months before the start of availability. And that's, that's really important. And we're finding that that has a very key um, advantage to the, the winning shipyard to allow them to get their workforce in place, to get their subcontractors in place, to get the, the workforce, the planning done, um, as well as kind of build the, the execution team on the waterfront. So that's, that's key to, to being able to, uh, to be ready to start the availability. In terms of reducing costs, you know, anytime you extend an availability, um, that drives more cost. If you're ready to start on time and you get, you get work done on time, um, that just in itself will, uh, will minimize, minimize costs. On the, um, on the public sector side, uh, we're doing a lot of work through the Naval Ship Sustainment Shipyard effort, uh, which really kind of gets into uh, 
again, you know, looking at planning, so meeting the planning milestones, getting material on site, uh, you know, into the shipyards on time. Uh, we're doing a lot of work right now with what we call project management fundamentals, which is really kind of how we manage the availabilities and, uh, you know, really kind of getting back to basics, if you will, in terms of how we train people to, uh, to execute those fundamentals, and that's starting to pay some dividends for us. Um, let me ask you on the private side, right? I mean, on the public side, fleet commanders uh, appear to be satisfied, whereas on the public side, uh, a little bit of frustration, right? I mean, you're taking a much more integrated approach to try to help there. Is this a return to more bundling? Because as, it, as has been the case oftentimes, every time you open up a ship, you have more work. Uh, I know Hondo Gertz, the former uh, Navy acquisition chief, used to talk about this. Hey, let's just bundle as much work as we can and move away, whereas you guys seem to move away from that a little bit, right? I mean, in, in the terms of sort of controlling cost maybe and maybe reducing scope, are you going to go back to bundling uh, to try to get as much stuff done uh, instead of doing it in an individual way where you have to negotiate each element of this? Oh, wow, that tank is a lot worse than we thought, so we're going to have to add that. Oh, well, let's bid that or negotiate it. What are you doing to try to move that process along more quickly, especially with the, the public yards, uh, private yards, excuse me? Yeah, so first let me tell you, um, on both the public and the private sector, uh, for those of us that work in the, in the Navy maintenance business, nobody is satisfied with where we are. Okay, we have work to do in both, both areas. To your question on the private sector side and uh, what we're doing from a contracting perspective in terms of, you know, bundling ships, what I would tell you, you know, if you think about it, uh, you know, from uh, kind of a contracting, you know, Navy and industry, Industry wants a stable and predictable workload that they can go and execute, okay? The Navy wants accountability and we want the ships back on time. And so our contracting structure right now, I think is a little bit out of balance in terms of those, those two fundamental desires on the part of the two parties that I just mentioned. So, you know, this year, uh, we've got an effort going on right now to really kind of relook at our, our contracting strategy. We're working with industry to do that. Um, you know, as you know, about five years ago or so, uh, we shifted from a predominantly a cost type contract to a fixed price contract that we've been in now. And, um, you know, we've learned a lot over those last five years, okay? And we're, we're taking an opportunity now to really go back and, and kind of introspectively look at, uh, you know, what have we learned um, from the fixed price contracting? What worked in the, in the cost type contracting? Is there a way to kind of marry those together to get to maybe a, a hybrid type contracting? You talked about bundling. I think there's, um, uh, you know, that was a good, I'll say first step. I think there are other things that we can do in terms of how we, again, looking at that stable and predictable workload for industry, okay, um, whether we, we group ships differently, uh, maybe it's over a, uh, an operational uh, deployment, you know, a cycle of, of operations, um, but there's, a, there's different ways that we can look at that and the team is off doing that. And I think we've got an opportunity this year to maybe take a, re a look at our, our contracting strategy. So you, you think you'd be moving away from the single ship uh, bidding and award construct to something that goes back to multi-ship, multi-option? I think we're look, right now we're looking at options. We, we are looking at, at, at options, you know, whether it, it looks more like the multi-ship, multi-option or, or bundling. Um, what I would tell you, I think there's an opportunity to group more ships over a longer period of time to provide industry, you know, that, that stable workload. One of the things that was really kind of key, I think, um, during the, what we refer to as the, the old MISMO, the multi-ship, multi-option contract that you mentioned, um, was the opportunity for a shipyard to develop a relationship, if you will, with that, with that ship, with that crew. They got to understand the ship, where the problems were, and, and there were some efficiencies gained from that. 
we've lost some of that in the fixed price contracting. So that's one of the things I talked about, a good lesson learned that we'd like to try to incorporate into this revised contract strategy. Um, we, we heard from uh, the Fleet Forces Commander, Admiral Cottle, uh, that he's uh, uh, not satisfied with uh, where we are, and he said he's shared that uh, with you, even though he is uh, more than satisfied with the level of effort that you and the team are, are committing to this. You know, on your panel discussion just now, uh, the uh, Surfland, uh, Admiral McLean, uh, was on that panel, uh, and, and we, we also heard uh, Admiral Kitch, uh, Kitchener, the Surf War, talk about this. Talk to us about the partnership between NAVSI and uh, the uh, operators to make sure that you're doing the best planning for these availabilities, right? I mean, I think people, certainly anybody in the Navy business knows the kind of uh, planning that goes into it. How are you working with the operational commanders in order to be able to work through these availabilities uh, in a more thoughtful, accelerated fashion? Yeah, so I would tell you, at least kind of at the NAVC level, the, uh, you know, the relationships that we've developed with the three type commanders, and that's the surface, the air, and the submarine type commanders has been has been very good, and that, that's been very helpful. Um, in terms of being able to plan maintenance availabilities, um, a couple of thoughts there. Number one is understanding the condition of the ships, and we've got activities across all three of those platforms that I mentioned, surface, submarines, and aircraft carriers, um, to really working with the type commanders, with the crews, to really understand the condition of the ship and to drive that into the planning process to really minimize you know, change in growth work and rework in in uh, in in in, uh, in 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 the the modern the uh, availabilities. That is probably one of the key things. You know, change management and execution is one of our key drivers there. So the more that we can do to better understand the work package, the condition of the ship, marry those two together to get into execution where we don't have an incredible amount of change, growth work, and new work and whatnot. Um, that's a key factor in being able to to get availabilities out on time. The other thing that we do with all of the tight commanders is, is fleet planning conferences, okay? And what this does is it allows us to bring in the ships that are going into maintenance availabilities and to schedule those in the ports and the shipyards that they're going into to try to better balance the workload in those particular ports and shipyards. Um, one of the things uh, Admiral Verhaeg, uh, the commander of the Naval Regional Maintenance Centers, uh, Maintenance Command, excuse me, uh, who oversees the centers, uh, it, you know, discussed the importance of modeling uh, technology, uh, modeling, and, and you mentioned that as well. What's the role of modeling, simulation, as well as AI and big data that you guys are bringing together to better plan these uh, availabilities, right? I mean, this started with you mentioning coatings and how coatings can actually change and are changing mm -hmm. uh, availabilities, right? I mean, everybody knows the bane of being on a ship is anything that involves the word tank or strainer. Uh, ultimately, what are you guys doing and how are you harnessing these technologies uh, to accelerate the game and cut cost? Yeah, you know, Navy ship maintenance, we collect a lot of data and, and we've got uh, just incredible amount of historical data on, uh, ship classes, systems on ships, structure on ships, um, and how ships, you know, how different availabilities perform, the outcomes of different availabilities. And, you know, taking that data um, and building these duration models, and we've done that both for private industry as well as the public sector, um, that is, that's a key element uh, of being able to, to be more predictive in terms of a reliable outcome from an availability from a schedule standpoint, you know, given a, uh, a known workload for that particular availability. So building these models has been key. Um, I would tell you, I think the, uh, on the surface side, we're probably a little bit ahead where we, we are on the submarine and the aircraft carrier side. On the submarine side, we just came through really the first iteration of our 15-year submarine maintenance plan. And a big part of that was building a duration model 
that more accurately reflected the, the, the duration of the availability based on the work that we're putting into those, those packages. You know, you heard the CNO talk the other day about get real and get better, right? Um, that's a big part of what we're doing. First is getting real, understanding what your problem is, and then how do you get better? So how do you improve your processes, which include the modeling and the data and analytics that we're using? Um, I want to uh, take you, uh, I, I think that folks uh, may not fully appreciate that actually one of the most important wartime roles you have is ship repair and capability regenerative, repairing battle damaged ships, and I want to talk about RIMPAC in a minute, where you have a decommissioned warship that you're actually going to be damaging in order for you to be able to test your forward repair uh, capabilities and get people hands-on and say, hey, you know, how do, how do we repair damage like this? Because normally a Syncex <laughs> ends with the ship at the bottom of the ocean, even if you guys survey it before she sinks uh, and, and certainly instrument them. Let me take you to what Admiral Cottle said, which is reserve capacity, right? He said, we don't have as much reserve capacity, and that was demonstrated recently by the USS Connecticut collision. Uh, obviously a priority vessel, and obviously that derails uh, the, the limited capacity and availabilities you already have as you're slotting things. Do, do, you, do you fully understand what the wartime scope and capacities are going to be required, whether it's for dry docks, whether it's for berths, whether it's for manpower, uh, because that is a key warfighting consideration, right? I mean, it's a deterrent consideration as well. If your adversary looks and says, hey, all I have to do is damage 10 of their ships and I, I side, you know, hamstring the whole operation, where are you guys on thinking through the capacity you need and what are you doing with allies and partners to help generate that capacity particularly forward? Yeah, great question, I appreciate that. I'd tell you right now, I think there's a collective appreciation that we need more maintenance capacity across the uh, across our waterfronts, again, both in the public and the private sector. Um, let me just talk about the public yards first. You know, we are, you know, for the, I talked about the 15-year maintenance plan. We're, we're really, you know, stem to stern there um, in the way we're pushing submarines through the, uh, through the shipyards right now. Um, we do have, um, you know, if you look at the at that 15-year plan, uh, there are periods of, of where we have, uh, you know, some dips, some excess capacity, but, uh, you know, we really do need more. So I mentioned the uh, the naval ship sustainment effort that we're going. That's an effort to really kind of buy back some of that productive capacity inside of those those shipyards. The other uh, option there is is working with private industry, right, as a, as a surge. Uh, uh, a, a surge tank, if you will, to, uh, to, to gain some more of that, that capacity. On the private sector side, same thing. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing, uh, uh, you know, port loading in some cases where we exceed the capacity of the port, okay? And so, uh, you know, what that results in is, is ships being shifted to outside of home port for availabilities and everything like that. Um, so that's another area that we're, we're looking to, uh, to extend, expand the, the capacity. But again, it gets back to that stable and predictable workload. And, and industry will respond to the demand signal the Navy places on it. And unfortunately, you know, that demand signal has not been very stable um, in, in recent past. And so we've got some work to do there. To get to your point on battle damage repair, um, we've done a, a lot of work um, with the CNO staff, with the fleet commanders on wargaming, um, you know, battle damage repair scenarios and how we would go um, and send with flyaway teams, for example, okay? Um, and by that, what I mean is, a, you know, kind of a group of, of engineers, mechanics, uh, with a Connex box full of material and, and, and tools to, to go, you know, fix a particular platform somewhere, okay? Um, you know, it's not going to return it to the as-built condition, but probably enough to get it either out of the, the, the AOR, uh, the, the, the area of, da of danger, or, um, you know, or, or potentially uh, 
you know, at least maybe get it back in the fight at some, you know, uh, level of capability. Uh, so that's kind of some of the work that we're doing on the, uh, in, in, that, uh, in that area in terms of battle damage repair. Do, do you have an assessment at this point exactly how much more capacity you need and what that will cost? And is that something that's been discussed uh, with senior leadership and say, hey guys, you know, I'm going to need 21 more floating dry docks and X amount of people and it's going to cost me uh, $10 billion, for example. I mean, do you have a firm number on that? I know that the PSYOP is dealing with uh, the infrastructure we already have, but we're already recognizing the infrastructure we have is not enough, right? Yeah, I, I can't, Vago, I can't give you a, a, a particular number. Um, you know, one of the things we look at is, is utilization rate. We look at that very closely. Um, dry dock utilization rate, uh, you know, we look at port loading uh, in terms of workload versus uh, manpower available. I think we've got uh, some pretty, a pretty good understanding of where some of our shortfalls are, um, you know, in terms of uh, docks. Uh, when it comes down to the workforce, even in terms of, you know, at the trade level, okay, where we need some, some additional trades. And that's something that, you know, frankly, across the enterprise, I think we've got some work to, to, to do, um, again, partnering with, with industry uh, to rebuild some of the trades that we need. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think this is really, I would offer this is a, a national problem in a number of areas. Um, but, you know, when, I, when you think about welders and electricians and mechanics, um, you know, those, those people, especially ones with experience, are hard to come by these days. And, uh, you know, so that's an area we've got some work to do. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, we heard stories uh, about how, uh, you know, the public shipyards and the private shipyards are dueling uh, for or workforce uh, in Norfolk. Let me ask you, you know, you talked about trades. Uh, this is something we've talked about before, uh, and certainly anybody who knows me knows I've been beating on this drum for a very long period of time. The Navy historically has been very good at adjusting its survivability requirements based on how the warfighting uh, environment is changing, right? USS Midway, one of the most survivable ships built on World War II experience, uh, and then all of a sudden the nuclear weapons changed that ball game, right? It didn't matter how much survivability you were going to build into it, you, you end up at the bottom of the ocean anyway. We're in a hypersonic age. Dr. Jerry Hendricks, uh, a navalist of the First Order, has been talking about this recently uh, as well. How does the kinetic environment need to change your standards? Because we build to a survivability standard that is a major cost driver that many people are beginning to recognize might be actually an antiquated standard, given, given kind of the hypersonic uh, threats and other kinetic threats that we face. How, where's your head in thinking about this? You control all the technical yeah. warrant holders on this. How are you thinking about survivability? What's the right amount of survivability? Because that, could, that has a big cost impact and you can produce more ships maybe for the amount, right? I mean, if you're two billion or 200 million, you're still at the bottom of the ocean. How are you thinking through this, this challenge? Yeah, I, I would uh, offer across three pillars, right? So the, the, the three abilities of, of survivability, right? Susceptibility, uh, vulnerability, and, and recoverability, okay? And, and each one of those plays into this, this larger you know, discussion on survivability, okay? So, you know, the susceptibility piece, right? You know, can they find you? Is, is there a way that you can, you know, essentially hide the, hide the ship or at least minimize the, uh, you know, the, the, the signature of the ship to, to, to try to evade uh, being targeted, okay? Um, you know, the vulnerability, if, if you do get hit, you know, um, you know, what is your, what is your backup systems, right? And so it's, it's the way the ship's built. It's the, uh, it's the ability to reconfigure systems. It's the redundancy that we build into, into systems. I would tell you, 
you know, regrettably, some of the some of the collisions that we've we've had, um, you know, it was the survivability features in the ships that, uh, you know, certainly with the uh, you know the, the heroic efforts of the crews, but the survivability features of the ship that allowed us really to return ships like uh, you know Porter and uh, and McCain back to the back to the fleet, but. Um, but, you know, so, so there is a survivability piece of that. And then the recoverability piece is just, you know, your basic damage control system that you have on board. And we've improved those significantly, right? And so we've gone to more automated systems. We've improved the, uh, the effectiveness of these systems with some of, the, some of the water mist systems and the gas systems that we have on board. So you have to look at it from those, essentially those, those three pillars. Um, but, you know, to your point in terms of today's weapons and hypersonics and, you know, I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, if you take a direct hit by a hypersonic missile, that's probably a bad day. Uh, so, does it change how you're approaching it, or do you think that we are where we are for good reasons that include all other cases that would be uh, right? I mean, so the the fact that that ultra high end threat exists. So, do do you see any trade space at all uh, there, or is it that we're on the right track when it comes to that at a fundamental level? Yeah, I think fundamentally it's on, we're on the right track. It's something that we continue to evaluate. Now we talked about models in, in uh, um, you know, in ship maintenance. I tell you, we've got some 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 models in survivability. So we we do a lot of that type of work, you know, to model different uh, you know damage scenarios, different different threat elements of weapons and whatnot, and uh, you know, and to just not to get in too much detail in that particular area, but. There's a lot of work being done on that to kind of evaluate, uh, you know, what it would look like. We're using that, um, you know, as we to to kind of form the DDGX design as we mature that uh, that design platform. And and what do you hope? Uh, very briefly, I have to ask you this because it was really neat what Admiral uh, Ver Verhaeg discussed. Uh, what do you hope to learn from that RIMPAC uh, uh, damage uh, ship damage and repair yeah. exercise that'll be part of RIMPAC? Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a great question. So for your audience that may not be aware, so this is uh, an opportunity where we're actually going to have a damaged ship that it'll be used, uh, you know, for, uh, for for target practice by the fleet, and then we'll we'll kind of bring a, a crew on board once we safe the ship. Uh, to, to really kind of go in and, and, and go through a, a damaged ship scenario to document the damage, um, you know, test out different repair features, uh, command and control elements, comm channels, um, you know, some real live, live training. Um, for those that may not know, we, we had an opportunity to do something like that on the Bonhomme Richard as we were taking her to the uh, to the Gulf Coast before uh, you know disposal there, and uh, you know we spent probably about a week or ten days or so, and we actually got people on board the ship. Um, they had a chance to kind of go through the ship. Uh, we exercised uh, you know divers and recovery salvage experts and whatnot that we have within the Navy, and you know really gained some valuable lessons learned. So I think the more we practice that type of thing you know, the better we can kind of hone our skills in that area and gather some of those lessons learned. Uh, so much I'd like to discuss there, but I have to ask you a new construction question. Obviously, uh, USS Constellation is uh, the big program. Congratulations on a bouncing baby DDGX, uh, which is a new program, program that's, uh, uh, that's growing of it. Let me ask you a quick Constellation question. Uh, the, the program was awarded in order to change the way the Navy does business and how it operates. That was at least an intent that mm -hmm. Secretary uh, Spencer had, and, and obviously Hondo Gertz uh, would evangelize on that as well. Um, there is, there are those, however, who look at this and say, well, the Navy is running this program as it would the DDG programs, for example. What are you doing new and differently on this program, 
and how will the new and different experience on this program drive how you do DDGX better uh, yeah. with a closer eye to taking cost out of the ship as opposed to putting cost into it. Yeah, so um, I'd offer a couple of thoughts there. So, so it is it is different than, than previous ship classes and it's different because we started um, with a, a design that had already been been constructed, okay? So we're, we're leveraging the, uh, uh, the Finnegan Terry frigate design um, and that that has really kind of moved us down the field quite for, uh, quite far in a very short period of time, and so we have a, a, a you know a team there that really understands how to how to build the ship. Now, having said that, you know we have made some changes to the ship to better uh, accommodate systems that we use here in the U.S. Navy, um, and so there's there's a little bit of that you know from the uh, uh, from from the parent design, um, but then going going forward, uh, you know. This is a different shipyard that uh, you know that, that hasn't built this this uh, you know these this level of complexity before. Okay, um, so you know, so one of the things that we're looking at is really kind of leveraging lessons learned. You know, think DDG program, think LPD program. Uh, you know that that really have delivered uh, first of class ships. You know, you've got successful enduring progr ship programs out there. Um, and we've got people that have worked those programs that we're bringing into that. But the, the fundamental difference on the frigate program was really kind of in the early design phases and how we leverage that parent design. Are you satisfied that you guys have changed enough in how you're executing it, right? Because that was another one of the considerations that leadership had for the program is, hey, this is an opportunity for us to sort of hit a reset button. Are you hitting that reset button as, as hard as you need to uh, given that there's always concern and people rub their heads a little bit when the Navy's developing a new class of ships, given some of the challenges we've had in the past. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it really I think it really is, and I, I will tell you, you know, the the, the frigate program, um, you know, right now only probably, uh, you know, in, in parallel with the DDG Flight Three, and both of those programs are probably our, our number one, number two, number two, number one, depending on uh, on how you look at them. Uh, the top programs for our surface Navy right now, and we have got to get those ships delivered on time with the capability that they were designed to have, and that's our goal. Sir, Fairwinds following seas, thanks so very much. Always an honor and pleasure, and looking forward to having you come back on a more regular basis, uh, because I can't imagine anything more fun than talking about tank coatings. Yes, sir, <laughs> absolutely, every day. Thank you, thanks for your time. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report and check us out on LinkedIn and stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship and we'll see you again tomorrow.